we were at the campus. I don't know if you remember this. We were sitting outside at the lake during working time and we were just chatting and you told me about the idea of, I want to show people that you can be a woman and you can look and feel like a woman, but you can also be a, an athlete. And you were telling me about this vision of having this ball gown and uh, like high heels and playing basketball in a ball gown and high heels. And now this year, subhanAllah, three years even later, you are on all the billboards with a ball gown playing basketball. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Shared Diversity Podcast. My name is Sina Port. I'm a brand strategist, keynote speaker, and the founder of Shared Diversity. And each week, I introduce you to an amazing story, person, or message to help you empower yourself in your career and life. If there's one thing we all share, it's our innate diversity. Here, you can find exclusive interviews with businesswomen where we discuss how to use the power of diversity in business, branding, and womanhood. If you want the video version of this or any other podcast, Join us on YouTube at Sina Ford at Shared Diversity. Today we have a very special guest. We have Asma Badawi, and I'm excited to chat with her about women in sports, her own journey into sports and arts, her working with brands like Adidas, and us just chit-chatting because we've just known each other for a while, but never really sat down for a podcast that can also contribute to others. So I'm excited to do that today. Asma, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. How we always start this podcast is, could you introduce yourself for those who don't know you in 30 seconds? Sure. So I'm Asma Al-Bedawi. I'm Sudanese. I was raised in the UK. Uh, I'm an artist, a poet, and I'm also a sports inclusivity consultant and an Adidas ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey um, and that is both in terms of like sports and arts. How did you get into it in the first place? We can start with sports for now. Sure. So I've played sports like my entire life since I was like really young. And a lot of it was because of where we lived. All the kids kind of used to go outside and we play loads of sports together. And we'd like play on our bikes and all these different kind of games. Some of the games were like really like unique to the different backgrounds that some of the kids were and they shared them with us and we just used to kind of like play all these games but also in school I was in every single after school club my parents like really encouraged us to kind of get involved in all of that stuff and I'm the youngest of two so my brother was like obsessed with football so he always like make me go outside and like stand in the And he would just kick the ball so hard, you know. And then we kind of take turns doing that. But mm -hmm. for me, sports was like a huge expression of like myself. It gave me like a, a lot of joy. And I just continued to do it like even after I finished school and after university. That's amazing. And what kind of sports do you play? So those people who don't know yet. So I play netball mostly up until leaving high school and then after that I mostly did basketball so getting into basketball did you like start playing already with girls or did you usually play with guys because like knowing here from Germany I think if you would just like grow up I mean you know like not a place like London but if you would grow up like I did in a small town there wouldn't be a proper like women's basketball team at that time um, and you would have if you're interested in these kind of sports like you would have to compete with boys and guys later on so how did you get into it I think the first time that I got into it was when my mom's friend's son they left the country and then they left me a basketball and I didn't really like basketball by the way like I didn't like defense I hated people defending me I just like shooting because it was so similar to netball. So I used to just go outside and like we'd play these shooting games for hours, like hours. And it was with the boys and the girls and like all of us would just kind of do that. But then we had a year where a coach, I think she was doing her qualifications. So she had to do like 10 weeks of experience and she came and she tested at our school. I only remembered like years later when me and her ended up being in a tournament together. For me, basketball was 
was not my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. It was just a sport that I thought was really cool. But then I ended up really, really loving it a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> Why a bit too much? I think when I got into it, I, I, it was at a time where like I hadn't been playing sports for two years. I was really unsure about like the jurisdiction around women, especially Muslim women and playing sports. I hadn't seen anyone on the TV like in the WNBA, the Olympics and all these kind of like competitions wearing hijab. So I felt like I'd only been allowed to play because of the school that I went to was almost in girls school. It was very kind of controlled in the sense of like men didn't come in and out. And so I was kind of like in this big ball of confusion. And then I trialed for the team because I didn't make the netball team. And then I got accepted onto the team. So for that first year, I was kind of like really, you know, training all the time. And I didn't want to stop there. Like I ended up going to like camps abroad and like I super, when I got in, I super got in, you know? <laughs> when you like, commit, you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so when did you find out that there were actually regulations against wearing the hijab? And how did you get into then overturning them? I mean that's a longer story but I do want to I do want people to to kind of like feel that part of your journey because it's it could be you know I feel as a former an athlete that wanted to go professional it would be so frustrating to just know you've worked so hard you trained so hard and there's this kind of like always thought about okay can I actually play professionally or not because the only person I see is myself and my friends doing it and then figuring out like there are actually like rules that need to be overturned. Actually getting into that state of saying, you know what, why not me? Why not me changing the rules in the game? I think for me, I played for such a long time without um, the rules really being flagged. I think they got flagged once in a different part of the UK when me and my friends were playing. But Mm -hmm. our coach was just kind of like, they train hard and they play, so they're going to play, you know? And we ended up playing, but the other team basically did a thing where it's called playing under protest. So it means that if we win, um, they can kind of, I don't know, like flag it and, and say that, you know, we had our hijabs on, which does not color it. Crawl, that, that there's no correlation between yeah. the two. <laughs> I mean, my hijab is, uh, you know, but it's not... Um, a cape so it's not gonna help me win <laughs> <laughs> unless you wear a buyer then people could actually say you know it's like a cape it has superpowers right the audacity so, oh the audacity is saying like if we win it's fine but if we lose you know we'll make yeah, you pay <laughs> it was really funny but so it, it never got flagged and i think because we were training all the time and, and like really putting in the effort our coaches as well, like never really looked into it. And I also lived in a community that was very Muslim. You know, there mm-hmm. was a lot of Muslim people, uh, diverse, like from different backgrounds. You know, there was like the Libyans, the Sudanese, there was like the from Pakistani community. So it just felt normal for our coaches as well. So they didn't even look into it. Mm-hmm. But then eventually I started poetry and with the poetry I was like traveling up and down and doing a lot of media and then somehow I ended up being on a call with a professional basketballer who was called Indira I mean she's still called Indira but I met her we're talking on the phone and we were gonna do like a a a creative project together Mm -hmm. and for some reason in the middle of it I started talking about basketball and she was like, wait, you play basketball? And I was like, yeah, I play basketball, do you? And she told me about her career and playing professionally overseas. Mm-hmm. But then she wore the hijab and she was not allowed to play anymore. And she invited When was me that? Like how long did she actually play until she wasn't allowed to play anymore? She played for quite a lot of years. She, she was around my age, mm-hmm. um, but she'd been playing her whole life, you know, like the kind who play basketball or play college basketball and then after college they go pro yeah so that's what she did and then anyway she invited me to be part of it and I didn't even need to think twice I was just like whoa like 
a lot of things popped into my head in that moment and I realized that okay that I didn't see anyone look like me that's why all these competitions there's no Muslim women wearing the hijab and it has nothing to do with the religion mm. and I just felt like I needed to be part of something that the next generations can come and play and not have the same barriers as us mm. There's, uh, it, I feel like there's a big difference between focusing on your own sports and then focusing on what comes after. Because when you look at the trajectory of most professional athletes, they can focus on their own careers for most of their careers. And when they retire, they can start thinking about what can I leave behind? What can I change for the people coming after me? But having to jug juggle focusing on your own career and investing time and effort into training and developing yourself, plus also the entire amount of like activism and figuring out how to actually over overturn those rules to eventually play like you you have to do double of the work I can just imagine it being so overwhelming for uh for for that kind of a project how did it actually how do you start overturning rules like can you explain that a little bit more I think you need a plan first like it wasn't something that we just jumped into I remember mm -hmm. we had a meeting with me, um, Indira, and another like 10 athletes that were all Muslim and they were all in like different places in the world. And we we also had someone with us who was from, I think, change.org. And together we kind of were informed to all write our own petitions mm -hmm. and then share them. But what they did was they linked all of our um, like signatures so that like if I got signatures our, or Izdihar, Izdihar was with us she got signatures and like the other girls who got signatures all these numbers would add up so then what that meant was it would go like further up in the agenda kind of thing and it would reach like FIBA mm -hmm. and so that's what we kind of did and we also had a lot of contacts that were like already, for example, like brands that were already creating sports hijab at the time, who also joined our campaign. And then it was a lot of sort of like just advocating all the time. So for me, I was like already on the TV, already doing radio. So while I was doing things, I was just like further kind of um, sharing more about myself in those situations and then telling them I'm actually doing this campaign you know and like pa passing the message on you know mm -hmm. and during the time it didn't feel like overwhelming it just felt like I have a camera and I'm taking pictures all the time about something that I really cared about and just posting them but now I put I couldn't do that again like I could never probably do a campaign that big again in my life that's how I Why? feel because it was so much work I think no I think like when you're in the middle of it you don't feel how much effort you're putting in and then after you're sort of like wow I'm really exhausted like that was really tiring but at the time it was just kind of like it just became like second nature you know I think I really believed in the cause and that's why I barely rested it was like constantly on my mind We were sort of waiting for FIBA at one point to uh, to accept the the hijabs that we sent them because we sent them some hijabs that were sort of like uh, they'd already done research in them and they've made sure that you know they're breathable and they like meet the safety regulations and you know and then they kept delaying as well and then eventually it was just kind of like oh yeah well done you've you've changed the rule <laughs> but there was no like there was no like party or You know, there was no like, think. yeah, yeah, like the satisfaction is kind of missing. But it's actually fun because, um, fun to hear like your side of the story because what I see, what I tell a lot of people is when you want to change something in your life or you want more career or life opportunities, you need to build a personal brand around it. And ideally, it should be rooted in something deeper than I want to promote myself. So the fun thing is that I got to know you through that campaign is I believe a lot of your audience actually got to know you through 
you know, just advocating for that change. So you actually put yourself as a personal brand out there already as someone who wants to drive change in their industry, who wants to change something for the better, who's up for like inclusivity as well as helping women just do, you know, be their best in their field. And this happened to be the sports field because why would they have to have it more difficult just because they decide to cover their hair? which is like that's literally the conversation we're having here. Right. <laughs> you have to work twice as hard just because you're covering your hair um so it's really interesting to see that kind of example of how a personal brand can guide you to a place where you can change things where you can make a name for yourself but you can actually also change the game and the recognition might not have been like you get this trophy good work for changing the rules but it does add up to your legacy you know and how people view you and what kind of opportunities you you get um, after that so the kind of connecting to that because that is also something that brought you to into kind of the realm of also big brands that want to make a change can you tell us a bit more about your journey of working with Adidas sure so the irony of it all was you know, when we used to play basketball, me and my friends, all my friends would make jokes, you know, to each other where they'd be like, oh, you know, are you sponsored by so-and-so? Are you sponsored by, you know, whatever. If someone came in with a full kit from mm -hmm. a specific brand and I never made those jokes and like it never occurred to me that I would even work with brands and especially like Adidas. So I remember like when I first... Uh, like when they first reached out and then we were kind of going through the contract I didn't tell anyone except my mom and I think my brother and my brother like he wanted to literally write it on Facebook and I was like don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like you have to wait till everything is like cleared and the contract sent back and everything but for me it was like a huge huge opportunity because it basically like it took my voice uh exactly how it was in terms of the poetry in terms of the basketball and sports and just amplified it and took it to like a much wider audience and I think I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own um not at this stage anyway because I didn't have that kind of um reach you know to be able to reach people in Dubai to reach people in Australia and all these different places so you know as soon as that kind of that partnership kind of started. I was able to like share a lot of my ideas with Adidas and they were able to like see where I'd fit in and which campaigns they feel like they could use um, a lot of the, the gifts that I have. So like there was the one, the swimming one, I think you were the one who invited me to do that one. And for me, it was amazing like being able to sit and work with other people to create a poem that wasn't just, you know, personal to me but also very universal and flying out in the middle of COVID <laughs> to film that and I was like the only one flying out so I was like yo guys going on a day <laughs> but yeah like it was just like a, a push that helped me also realize that my voice can um, impact more people than I thought yeah and I love that you say it took all what you've been doing and just amplified it. Because I remember when we were, I remember this moment, we were at the campus. And at the time I was there in a position of, I was interviewing you every time, you know, athletes or ambassadors or brand partners would come to the campus, I would interview them. So I was really excited for you to come so we could have a chat. But we were, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, we were sitting outside at the lake and we were basically the only ones, I don't know, it was still like spring, so it wasn't super hot and it was during working time and we were just chatting and you told me about the idea of, I want to show people that you can be a woman and you can look and feel like a woman, but you can also be a, an athlete. And you were telling me about this vision of having this ball gown and uh, like high heels and playing basketball in a ball gown and high heels. And now this year, SubhanAllah, two years or three years even later you are on all the billboards with a ball gown playing basketball that was, <laughs> that so was crazy it's just crazy to think back 
and see like that's the vision you had yeah and I think what I didn't expect was the feedback that I actually got from other people mini break don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on apple podcast and if you want to learn more about building a personal brand that's true to who you are to get more opportunities in your life and career hop on over to sinaport.com for all my courses and free resources let's get back to the episode what i didn't expect was the feedback that i actually got from other people and there was a lot of parents who contacted me like around that time and were just like our little daughters saw these billboards and they wanted to know who the princess was and like that opened this conversation to like she plays basketball and she's done yeah. this and that and she does poetry and it was kind of like it's not your typical princess who's you know fighting off men trying to get a prince <laughs> Oh, whatever stories they've been telling. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so beautiful, Subhanallah. It's it's nice to see your progression because you've been really vocal about what you wanted to do, and it's not very easy. And you know, working with brands, working on your own personal brand to kind of find that where you still feel like yourself, but you're also, you know, in in terms of like the brand, you you're both looking at what purpose do we both have, but what's the what's the goal we have with this campaign or even with the product. Um, does this product have the message and the kind of like intention that I want to, you know, drive as well with my personal brand? So it's really beautiful to see someone that has kind of, you know, brought that in and and also like embodies it. And I do love the swim campaign that you were in because when so the team, the swim team came to me very early on, I think it was in the first year that I uh, started consulting and they came with this idea of saying, you know, this is a problem that women have. Obviously, you know about it. That And they came with the example of France banning women from wearing the burkini to the beach and actually fining women for doing so. And they said, what can we do about it? This is our idea. Can you help us develop the product? Um, so I was really excited to work on the product and then seeing it come to life and then seeing people test it and then you being on that you know, campaign cover and not only just being the person that wears it and says like, it's a great product, buy it, but actually developing this poem that that looked at so much more than just the product or this one target market that initially was the idea to reach. So the idea was to solve this problem for Muslim, Muslim women. But when you came up with the campaign poem, it looked and it felt like, yes, this is a solution for multiple women it's not just for women who wear the hijab it's for women who you know wear modestly who wear inclusive sizing who might have disability disabilities or skin condition and it just like creates a more accessibility to actually access this beautiful sport so can you tell us a bit more about you being an artist as well as an athlete and how you bring this together because one of the questions that I always get from people that want to build a personal brand is I have so many different passions how do I bring it all together and I think you are a beautiful example of how you do that and it feels very natural um, knowing that you're not only the athlete on a lot of campaigns but you're actually also the artist and like writing the poetry thinking about the conception and like the the images and the videography about the campaigns that you're in so tell us a bit more about you as an artist how you how you feel you can bring those different identities and strengths into your brand and what you do? So it's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think like, because I studied photography and video. So while I was like at university studying this, I was also playing basketball. And a lot of the stories that I wanted to tell and was telling anyway, was women in sports and women who are athletes but it's also trying to like break down my own identity and figure out who I am mm -hmm. as a Sudanese Muslim woman and lives in the UK so there was always these like layers of stories that I was always trying to say and and share through like through the camera but at the same time I was writing poetry so things that I couldn't express in film, I would express through writing and vice versa. 
So I kind of already had that like storytelling, I suppose, in me. Um, but before the the brand Esma, you know, whether we kind of like fully formed, but I didn't know what I was doing with it. Mm-hmm. As in, there was no plan. It was just more of a okay. I like telling these kind of stories and these are the kind of poems that I like to tell and I'm just going to keep doing them it's only I would say like in the last sort of year or two years that I've been able to like really sit down and kind of see like okay my strengths are in creative things and like sports stuff and giving room for each one to you know be itself I struggle a lot with finding the balance I didn't when I was at uni because everything had a time and a place. But now I feel like I struggle. And I think the reason is because I feel like I'm trying to tell bigger stories mm. than I was previously. Before it was very me, the girls around me. And now it's kind of like I'm trying to tell stories about the wider world. And and I'm stopping more and more, you know, and... And having to think and having to think, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna tell these stories? So what I've actually started doing a, a lot more is like creating things that are not made for social media. They're just made for me. Mm-hmm. And and just sitting in my studio while I've been on a residency for the last year, I've just been able to like do therapy in a way and and sit with myself and just tell the stories that I experience every day that I feel like I need to just get out there so that I can tell the biggest stories that I actually want to tell. But also get more confident being behind the camera because I think for a good like five, six years, I've always been the one in front of the camera and I lost being behind the camera and that ability and the confidence to be behind it so this year for me has been like a rediscovering Esma behind the camera year. Yeah, I love that. Can you tell us about one big struggle you had as an artist and how you overcame it along your journey? I think the biggest struggle that I have as an artist is probably like trying to share things that are happening in the moment. So there's things like mental health, for example, that I want to talk about, but then I can't talk about them because I'm too in the moment. So what I've started to do, especially this year, was um, make sure that like I take the pictures myself so that I don't have the pressure of like having to you know, work with someone else and, and be there in a specific time and take the pictures. You know, I can set up the camera myself and then just put the time on and the other thing is I I stopped thinking about um quality I started thinking more about okay can I use a point and shoot camera can I use just like put the camera on auto or whatever like whatever the easiest thing I can do to make the picture and tell the story that's helped me like the most because I think I always got stuck on how do I make it perfect image or how do I make a perfect video? And then that was it. You know, that's where I'd get stuck. But as an artist, that's what helped me the most, like letting go of perfection, letting go of the idea that, you know, an image has to be, you know, in color mm. as well. I put color in my last, like, work. And it just helped so much. Yeah. I think what you're saying is a really big one because I think people are struggling when they're looking at their personal brand, there is the sharing, there's the telling, and then there's the showing, right? The showing is through vlogs, you know, behind the scenes, what do I do with my work? The telling is this, this is what I would tell, like would do if I would be in this situation where you, you basically tell them about your expertise and you share tips. And then the sharing is more, I share my emotions, my feelings, my stories, and I personally have always looked at you with a lot of admiration, mashallah, because you share a lot of things that are very deep and that you are, you are struggling still with 
And I'm always the person who, and I think there's two approaches. Probably I'm just not, you know, I'm, it's, there's like this barrier between me and the outside world where I just can't share something unless it's entirely, I, I entirely have like left it behind. I've learned from it. I now can share about it. And that's something that I am struggling with. And I think it's more because I fear that I'm not in a position to share it because I'm not like, I'm still kind of like processing it or I am like, why would I even share it? It wouldn't even help anyone because I obviously can't deal with it or I haven't figured out this problem that I'm struggling with yet. So seeing you talk about things that you have been struggling with, but that are still kind of within your life and in like every day in the everyday routine is something that's really inspiring for me where I'm like, okay, you know, like the world is also beautiful. I can see comments of people being inspired and saying, thank you for talking about this. Maybe I should think about these kind of stories a bit more and push myself to talk about struggles that I've been going through as well. Um, but how was that a process? Was, was that always the case where you're like, you know, I, I, I share it. Maybe it's, for some people, it's part of their therapy or processing to just share it or put it into stories. I know that a lot of your stories are inspired and, like driven by your life experience, which is, that's why they are so impactful. So have, has it always been part of your, your storytelling or did you also have to find into it? To be honest, like a lot of the poems that I used to write when I was a lot younger were very depressing and sad. And I remember like one of my friends told me, I can't wait till you start writing like happy poems and like poems about other things. And I didn't realize what it meant until like a long time later. And then I could actually tap into like all kinds of different emotions. With writing and with like, with my style of writing anyway, I have to tap into different sides of me. And sometimes I need some of how I, or like how I still feel there so that I can be authentic in my writing. And if I, if I'm still not in that place, I tend to go back to that place mentally to to write. But I don't share everything and every like anything with everyone. Like there's certain people who I would never share things with because for me, I feel like they they don't have the the skills. You know, I don't like to have a conversation with someone who then tells me just eat, and I'm like yeah that's the problem I can't just eat you know and I don't like to have conversations with people who are like oh how's your salah is your salah not okay maybe you should focus on your salah so I, I'm very selective you know but then there's some spaces mm -hmm. where I know like if I post on like my social media certain platforms people are more open to hear about other people's struggles and I, I don't mind I don't mind doing that but also as a poet, like when I started sharing, I always shared to a bigger audience and I felt like that was less scary than sitting one to one with a friend and sharing. So when I share to a wide group, I can say what I want to say and just kind of disappear if I want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sharing it is like a one-on-one -on -one, and then the other person's like, oh, tell me a little bit more. And you're like, oh, I really want to, you know? And then like a discussion yeah so I've always found it much easier to share to a wider audience than a smaller one yeah you kind of like share it and then you bounce and then you can give that that's how I do it if I share something that's a bit too personal I just share it I leave it there and then I close my internet like my wi-fi I delete all my sometimes I delete all my apps from my phone and then after three days I'm like okay let's see how people <laughs> <laughs> Okay, see. I never did it to that to that point where I'm deleting apps, but I have done it where I'm like, okay, I made a post. If I I do it less now, because now yeah. I'm kind of like, I look forward to to looking at other people's opinions, mm -hmm. how they feel, and you always get someone who's like, my brother is going through this, or yeah. my friend is going through this, or I'm going through this, and then mm -hmm. by the end of like the day, you're sort of like, oh, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. I can you know I can accept that 
Yeah. So how do you feel? Because we were talking a lot about your professional career, working with brands, building a personal brand around your identity and what you really love doing and your interests and passions. How has building your personal brand helped you in your life and career? I think it's given me purpose in the sense of like, I understand what kind of content I do want to create and what content I don't want to create. I think like when you go online, you're bombarded with like so much kind of content. You have like the entertaining content, the like facts content, the like fashion or whatever, like all these different things. And before you know it, you can get sucked into like, what does the algorithm like and what does the algorithm not like? And I think for a couple of, I think for a couple of years, maybe I started to struggle with that where it was like, I was starting to lose my own voice in that space because I wanted to grow my audience and that felt more important than actually having a proper message every time and now like I think it was like during this past year where I've had to like sit down and you know think about who am I as a person what messages do I want to share to the world not just as Asma but also as a Muslim you know, like we all kind of believe that once we leave this life, we should leave a good legacy behind us. And, you know, maybe I don't want to leave this world and have like just videos of me like dancing around and laughing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, for people who enjoy that. But for me, that's not what I want to leave behind. So it's allowed me to really like just point like this is what I want to do. This is the stories that I want to say. These are the people that I'm going to work with to make those stories like happen. I think what you're saying is really important because a lot of times people think personal branding is all about self-promoting and then you will get that job, you will get hired, you will, you know, get those followers and that feels really good in the moment, but it's more about what value are you actually providing? Because if you're not providing value, then you are basically building your brand on vanity And that will attract a certain audience, certain brands, and those brands will then also only look for vanity metrics. For instance, I work with you and this is the amount of products I want you to sell through your audience, or this is the kind of like return I want on my investment instead of let's build something together, let's tell a story together, let's change something on a bigger scale. And that's really the beautiful thing about having a personal brand that attracts also businesses and brands because they have the access to resources that you might not have as a person but that can really amplify not only your voice but really your efforts so when I tell people you know my vision is to leave a positive impact for one billion women I'm, I'm not doing this by myself you know I'm like trying to get a billion followers on social media but I try to strategically work with brands that have a higher you know, impact that have that kind of like scale of impact that I want to achieve. And that's the same thing you can have if you are building actually your per personal brand on something that has some kind of intention and purpose. So I love that you're kind of framing it in that way. I wanted to talk a little bit more about women that are looking, young girls that are looking up to you. What do you feel like are your three tips for young girls and women who want to get into sports or in the sports industry? or anything connected to sports, um, what would you give them on their way to make a name for themselves and build a brand and attract those opportunities? I think initially I would say focus on the game. Like you only have a certain amount of time to, to get really good, you know, at a sport and to make it to a professional level. And for a lot of people, they make the mistake of like trying to grow a social media at the same time as you know, like training and becoming really good. So I would say like the first few years of your career should really be more about the sport, getting good at the sport. And then I think at a certain point when you feel like, okay, you're, you're starting to like play for different teams, you're starting to be noticed or whatever, you can then introduce like the social media aspect, you know, because that's what really gets the brands and all these different things but because at, at the same time you can always just like hit up an agency you know when you're still playing I think that just allows the sport to be 
your your core and then everything else to be added on top because i feel like once you start building like a social media um you lose a lot of the authenticity i say because then you're you're trying to keep up with numbers and you're being invited to like do lots of work here and there like i have some friends that i've seen sort of like they want to make um championships and they want to do things but then every week you're seeing them in a different interview or a different and i'm i'm of the the people who feel like the moment you get on a big platform and you play your best the whole world would know who you are anyway so it's it's not about making sure the whole world knows who you are before you have even created the play that you want to be so that's the first thing that i would say the second thing i would always say is like don't be afraid to be the first one in the room or the only one in the room there's a lot of times where like you might be the only person in that city or country that's you know one wearing a hijab or two just from your background and i'm always approached by women who tell me like yo i like i couldn't i couldn't stay in that sport because i just couldn't um I couldn't socialize with these girls, you know, they're, they're always out partying on week weekends and, you know, they're bonding through alcohol and I just don't feel like I fit in. But actually, if you stay and you put yourself in leadership positions, you can create space where, you know, people are socializing in environments that don't involve alcohol. You can suggest these things and you can show people like different ways of having fun without, you know, having alcohol there. And the last thing I would say is just have fun. You know, like at the end of the day, sports is really about like having fun and learning while having fun. You know, a lot of the skills that I learned in terms of teamwork, in terms of like um, communication, in terms of like all these different things, I didn't realize I was learning because I was playing basketball while I was doing them. And my coach is basically telling me, tell the player behind you because they might not be able to see where the where the player who has ball is, you know? And I'm like saying right or left or, you know, or like help. And later I realized, oh, I was learning to communicate, to say like, as a basketball player right now, I need help because my... um the person I'm defending is basically about to beat me. But then you can take that into real life where you're like, yo, I'm really struggling with this project. I need help. So that that's the like, last thing that I would say. I love the part about communication. I think that's such an important part that we don't really learn, whether that's in our education or even in universities, kind of you learn by doing and you learn by failing most of the time because communication can destroy a lot of relationships whether that's a personal relationship or with a friend or even with your parents and then when you get into the workplace you see oh it's like what I said wasn't received very well or how I said it wasn't received very well and I feel also sports has contributed a lot to my interpersonal communication skills to say you know like either that's my boundaries or to say, you know, we are a team, we need to work on this together or even the different dynamics you have in a team in terms of this is a leader, this is kind of the, you know, the, the coach, you, you shouldn't, you know, compete or challenge the coach too much, um, which also relates, kind of translates into the work field where you, you don't want to outshine the master as it said in 48 laws of power <laughs> it kind of is like this this level of communication is so needed and it's I think a big part of of uh, life and in, in, in your career do you have any specific also tips for women who are not necessarily athletes but they want to be known in the sports industry so let's say women that are really interested or semi-professional in sports or really want to just like work with a sports brand or in the sports industry or sports journalism or activism, what would you tell them and give them on their way on on kind of skills that they should work on or, or relationships that they should build? How, how important is networking? I mean, one of my pet peeves 
<laughs> it's like when you have like when you're in a new team and then the person managing has had no experience in sports at all and then they're telling you like oh you know on this day we've organized this whatever and you're like oh how does that relate you know or this is a really stupid one but I feel like I'm really petty and I need to bring it up but like in basketball we say game and in other sports they say match so you'll get like people who tell you oh I've organized a match and you're like it's not a match honey it's it's a game (laughs) so what I would say is kind of like if you are trying to get into a space where there's already female athletes in there who are either like competing or playing and you kind of like, I don't know, want to run the business side or all these other sides. It's really important for you to actually understand the sport. Um, go to matches and games and watch these, you know, things, watch stuff on TV, talk to your friends who do play sports and just don't assume, you know, like a lot of people assume, for example, like if you're, a girl that loves sports you're not gonna want to wear a dress and go to a wedding you know or a party but me I want to go to both you know I want to wear the the dress and I want to play the sports and a lot of times like girls kind of I wouldn't say alienate each other but they will go online for example and they'll think oh okay like she's doing sports I'm not interested in sports I'm not gonna follow her you know I might follow someone else um, who I have more interest with. But actually, if you want to go into these spaces later, it's so important. And you never know, you know, you might not want to at the time, but later you might decide to. It's just important to be aware of like other women's like interests and sports that they play, because not all sports are the same. Um, team sports are completely different to individual sports. Individual sports, there's way more pressure on the player um having to like basically build themselves constantly but then with team sports you always have the support of your team but then the but the other issue as well is like if one of your team players is um not a great team player um it can impact the whole team so you you kind of need people who are managing or who are in those positions to be a lot stronger and to be able to manage the different like dynamics and like issues that pop up that's a really good one I think just assuming things about a person because you feel like you know the sports type is really important specifically when you work with partners um so this is called the shared diversity podcast and we look at diversity as something that's really important in terms of how it can really impact brands businesses and our personal life and that could be diversity within ourselves but also of others so diversity of thoughts ideas experiences and sharing that diversity can really help you know create new things collaborate better uh, develop innovation so how would you say what does the power of diversity mean to you the power of diversity in my life just means that you're able to learn and view other people um in their own authentic selves and you're able to share in their like their joy and their sadness you know a lot of times when you bring diverse people into a sport for example I'm going to give basketball as an example basketball is predominantly seen as a tall people sport but what happens if you bring people who are like shorter into the game like they have a different skill set so they can use their strength and make the sport more interesting at times you know but it also gives them the opportunity to inspire people from their own communities and their own backgrounds you know and so I love diversity because I feel like different people bring different things to the table and it just makes everything really exciting and interesting yeah it's fun to have someone like challenge your views and just like bring a very different viewpoint into into things and thoughts that you haven't really thought about this actually bridges really well to the question we've received so we have a new segment where we actually bring in mentees to learn from you and I have received a lot of questions but I wanted to focus on three specific questions for you that people want to really hear um 
your perspective from and your ideas from. So the first question is, Hi, Asma. My name is Kanisha, and I have three questions for you today in relation to the sport industry. My first question is, what are your views on positioning of the retired players or athletes in the sport industry? As in, are brands doing well enough, according to your point of view, to support them very well? Oh, I think, I think they're starting to. Mostly because I think there's been a lot of things that have happened over the last year, I would say, in terms of like women's sports. Like we had England win, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And we're needing more like presenters, uh, women in like different kind of fields um, that are not on the ground, like playing the sport. So I think now there's a lot more um, like pathways for former athletes to to join and explore. But at the same time, I also think that like, it's normally a very difficult time anyway for a lot of athletes, you know, once they leave sports, they dedicated most of their life to one thing. And, you know, some have an education background, um, others don't. And then it's time where they really need to um, figure out what they want to do. So brands can support by, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be that they are giving them full-time jobs, but it could be that they're giving, you know, like smaller positions or workshops or different things for the girls to go in and actually try out a lot of these things, like try out presenting, try out, um, you know, interviewing other women and then seeing like, okay, this is a nice fit for me or not. And some women just decide that they don't want anything to do with sports after, you know, and then others will find something that they never thought they'd be really good at and then just be like super amazing. at. Yeah, because usually you see brands only taking advantage of retired athletes if they've been legends and then, you know, they, they start developing a product line and they become the face of the product line and just like very focused on apparel. But there's not really much else that you know the industry offers yet so I I really feel like having that kind of setup that you're describing in terms of trying out what you would like to like move into specifically because when you look at athletes their peak is around their 30s and you know towards 40 it's already retirement age uh, for a lot of sports and a lot of uh, uh, sports that is when they are going on to do something else, but that's exactly when you would like to still, you know, do something with your life, ideally until you <laughs> fall, you know, fall apart. It's just like specifically because athletes in their nature are so competitive and high performance that going away from competing and sports without having anything in as a prospect is really I could just imagine being really, really heartbroken. And there are so many things where they can actually bring the expertise in, like you say. The next question we have is, have you ever experienced any harassment or abuse in the sport industry, especially as a woman? Um, my first experience of racism actually happened while I was playing basketball. At the time, I didn't wear hijab, but I remember a group of non people of color were, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I guess it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a good explanation. <laughs> I'll start again. A group of basketball players actually went and they were in a tournament. And when they came back, they kept singing a song at the time that was like something in Paris. And me and another boy, we pointed out that this was like extremely racist and that they shouldn't be like saying it. And then they just kept telling us like, oh, you know, like it's just, it was just a song and we were like singing it and it's, and it's fine. But they actually remixed it. So they made it like whatever in Paris, um, in Bradford where the tournament was. And it got really heated, like really heated. It, it, it kind of happened on social media. So someone had written, a post and put a picture with that on it 
and it just got really like out of hand and I remember like me and boy reported it and after that like no one on the on the on the team spoke to me again and then I think I left and then the year after I had like a game where like the 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 team leader kind of person she wouldn't shake my hand you know like when we were when we finished the game and I think for a long time it made me feel like if you speak out you you will face consequences and it made me be told it's like athletes speaking out about anything for a very long time and it wasn't until like I think a few like years ago that I was like actually no you know I wasn't in the wrong for saying you know that's racism they were in the wrong and instead of them like acknowledging what they did was wrong and take responsibility for it I was the one who was like pushed out of the space and yes so that was my first proper experience of racism in sport yeah I mean I think it's something that's that is really that you feel like when you do it for the first time where you say I took this decision you know now I'm I have to kind of live with speaking out but also if you wouldn't have done it you know can just keep accepting things that are unacceptable um, but it's really interesting that you say you kind of got pushed out of the of that field because it's very similar when you are in the workplace in specific environments and when you speak out and the consensus is calm down you know it's really not that big of a deal and you are kind of like oh okay so I'm like the only one here and you feel the energy changing afterwards after you spoke out so it's really kind of interesting to see how you can build a space where you don't have to in the first place don't have to really start this discussion um but you also yeah. can't always I, remove yourself right yeah and I think part of it was also like and I don't know how important this is to share but like it's kind of important but I feel like there's there's always a person who's digestible in the room and like when I spoke out me and another boy I think that boy was from Nigeria and I was from Sudan so we were both like African from Africa you know and that had grown up in Britain and we were the only two saying that's wrong and then there was a, a boy who was actually like mixed race and he was saying no like you guys are overreacting so everyone kind of took his word you know for it and it was kind of like there's so many um times in life where somebody takes like the position to say something is not a big deal but they don't look back to see like the people who I don't want to say more authentic but the people who actually you know like we're fully like African we're from Africa like we're sitting here telling you like we don't like the use of the n-word And you are sitting there being like, oh, no, it's fine, you know? And I, I struggled a lot with that, like, um, over the years, this idea of, like, people seem to have a, a louder voice because other people feel like they they are the spokesperson, you know? It's For, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I always, I remember I did a podcast about wokeness and the traps of wokeness of it coming across a lot of times as moral superiority. But there's also a line where, and I remember saying that, I think light-skinned people of color are in the best position to actually speak out about racism and things that are not okay because they are kind of more accessible to people that are, you know, have issues with racism or are outright racist. They would listen more to light-skinned people of color and take their word. So you are kind of in a position where you need to really be conscious about how you come across. And at the same time, I also feel like there shouldn't be anyone saying it's fine to someone else's feelings. <laughs> like, how are you in a position to say it's fine when someone else says this is not fine for me? It's, you know, it's the same thing as if you would give your opinion to anything else, 
and I would say your opinion is wrong it's your opinion it's like there's no one else that could speak out about your opinion than that uh, than yourself so thanks for sharing that um I do want to go to one more question and that has to do with your really push as well to change something in the industry and you're kind of in the limbo of you were you were someone from the grassroots level but now you're kind of in the elite level of working with big brands having a lot of reach mashallah and I wanted you to so the third question is actually about that how can we bridge the gap between grassroots activists and the elite athletes and women like you who are already successful and well-known in their field. For example, if you take me as who is in the initial stage of my career, and if I look at you, you and a person like Sinaport in the sport industry doing well, what are the ways we can bridge the gap between these two activists in the industry? One is that is already elite and established, and the second is who is at the grassroots level. I think a lot of brands and uh, companies and stuff need to understand like what is it that they're trying to share because sometimes you know when people are bringing in people who have already made it who have already like got lots and lots and lots of followers they're bringing them in for numbers and sometimes they may not be the people who are actually genuinely on the ground doing a lot of the work or they're doing the work but they've only done it for like a couple of months you know but as someone who's been doing it for 10 years. So a lot of the brands need to kind of figure out, like, are we trying to tell authentic stories and bring people who have been making real, real change? Or are we trying to bring in people because of their numbers? And I think once these brands kind of understand, like, okay, we're doing it for the number, then they need to kind of check themselves because, you know, it can't, everything can't always be about the numbers, you know? And... But at the same time, if you're going to, you know, do numbers, then I don't think the whole entire, like, for example, if it's a panel discussion, then the whole panel discussion can't all be people who, like, who have a bigger following. What you need to do is then bring in, like, a diverse range, you know, so you have the people with a huge following, the people who are, you know, not such a huge following. And what then that does is kind of balances out, in a sense, because then you get... um you know, like advice or like the stories of different people from different backgrounds. And the, it sounds really bad, but we're going to say it anyway, but like then these people with the bigger following, um, their audience can be exposed to other people too. So then you help the other person grow. I, I understand how collaborations on social media can help someone grow a lot quicker by you know by one person amplifying their voice or by two people sort of like putting their name on a, on a on a specific video and then it reaches like two sets of individuals so i would say like uh to just make a conscious effort to constantly seek out you know go into the neighborhoods the spaces the sports industries you know where you might you know you, you're not seeing them on social media you know, you, you just need to go in there and, and 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 learn a bit more about them. In my city, there's so many sports, like so many sports clubs that I had no idea existed. And then, like, I think it was like two summers ago, I discovered they had like a whole cricket team, women, girls one. And then they had like a whole like rounders, which is like baseball. And then it I, I already knew about like the jujitsu because I was kind of like part of that. But then they have like cycling and they have like all these different like things that were going on, but no one knew they existed apart from the people who, you know, go there on a weekly basis, who are like sending their kids there. And those are the spaces that, you know, do deserve a lot of like, you know, brand support or, you know, whatever you know, these little communities kind of need support in. Yeah, and a lot of times it's easier than you might think where you can just approach a person and say, you know, this works really well with what you're doing already. Maybe we can collaborate. And the world is not a zero-sum game. I think a lot of times when people think, oh, 
I don't want to share my platform because then people would actually move away, but they're not moving away. They're also following another person. And maybe that person's followers are also getting exposed to you. So it's not either them or me. It's it's about how can we grow together and kind of, you know, come together. Because you can't do everything by yourself and alone. There would just be so boring and really overwhelming as well if you're trying to just make it on your own or change the entire game on your own so I love what you're saying definitely bringing that diversity together and, and sharing each other sharing your diversity here we go <laughs> so we come to the last question which is what do you want to hear from the audience from anything that we've talked about today we've talked about sports about your personal brand about um, arts um, and really discovering your passion about creating spaces what do you want to hear from the audience? What is a question you have for the audience that they can answer in the comments below? Sure. Um, why do I need to suddenly cough? <laughs> so I think what I would want to hear is like, um, oh, it's really bad. Drink Let's something. The kitchen bar, like I have to jump over. Okay. Anyway, um, I think what I would want to hear from the audience is like what sports do they play and any like barriers or like success stories that they have. Like what is it, that, what content do they want to see more of by people like me that would inspire them, you know? So thank you so much for taking the time during their move to come on this podcast. I'm excited to chat more. I'm very sure you're going to be a recurring guest on the podcast. For those questions that Asma asked, leave those down in the comments and share diversity. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, the real deal is going on at sharediversity.com. Find other podcasts, find out how you can use the power of diversity to build brands that change the world. And don't forget to subscribe and connect with me on social media at Sina Port Official. And I'll see you next time, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.